Hey everybody, this is Troy, one of the pastors at First Church of the Nazarene. Thank you for listening to the podcast. It is a glimpse into the life of our church. We are ordinary people being transformed into passionate followers of Jesus. And we are committed to join God in the remaking of all things. I pray that this sermon is a blessing and helps you join God today. If we can serve you in any way, we would love to. Please get a hold of us at lafayettenaz.org. Have a great day. Joseph was a dreamer. He was a dreamer. God spoke to him and God revealed to him through his dreams. And God's people throughout history, God's people throughout history have always been dreamers. And when I say dreamers, I'm not talking about as Luke, as Luke our, our youngest son, as, as Luke says to me, Daddy, I close my eyes. When, 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 I, when I'm talking about dreamers, I'm not just talking about the kinds of dreams that you have when you lay down at night and you close your eyes. When I say that God's people have always been dreamers, I, I mean more specifically this. God's people have been people who have a certain vision or understanding of the future. And we have a certain gut sense of the kind of role that we play in God's preferred future. We have this certain belief or understanding in the world as God would want it to be. We can kind of see it or we get this gut internal sense about it. And then we... We get an understanding about what it means for you and I to live into that. Maybe it's just something that we label like an idea that we can't shake. It's an idea that we can't shake. God's people are dreamers. God's people have always been dreamers. Let's talk about it like this. Maybe your dream has been like a certain thing, like a certain relationship that you would have. That's what your dream has been about. Or you've had a dream about a certain kind of character that you would have as you mature and you grow in Christ, or maybe God's kind of given you this dream when you were younger, or this image of a future of a business that you would run or own, or an issue in society that bothers you that you really want to see healed, you get, you get the idea. But my guess is, whatever it is, within each and every one of you that is in this room this morning, there is some kind of dream that's in your heart, even if you feel like there's no possible way it could ever be fulfilled, it's there. And my guess is that at least a part of that dream, a part of it, was given to you by the Spirit of God. Dreams, a gut sense, an idea that we can't shake, a vision of the future. Dreams play a key role in our life. Without them, we would just kind of get stuck in the tyranny of the urgent, and we would spend every waking moment on just whatever is most pressing. Without some sort of gut sense or guiding, orienting direction in our life, we would get caught in like the vortex of the future and the present distraction of our world. We would just kind of wander, you know, wander our way through life squander it in trivial things. So dreams kind of operate like a roadmap for us. They orient us, they guide us, like a compass that keeps us moving in the right direction. 
to use the productivity language of our day. Dreams are how we start with the end in mind. They're how God leads us into our identity. Dreams are how God leads us into our calling. But dreams are tricky. They're tricky because this is what my experience has been. There is always a gap between the dream or the idea or the image or the gut sense. There is always a gap between it and its fulfillment. There's always a gap. And that gap might be a few days, a few months, but it could even be a few years of anticipation. And after a few more years, in the length of the time that the dream was received and the dream's fulfillment, pretty soon anticipation turns into cynicism, impatience, despair. Joseph's story that we just read in the Bible, Joseph's story is a story about how we live well in that time between the time that the dream was given and received and the time of its fulfillment. Because for Joseph, just like for the rest of us, the journey to see the dream fulfilled was not like this straight line up and to the right. It was anything but that. In fact, it was a really difficult road. In the end, that journey is, with it, is worth it. But in the middle... It stinks. Back to the story. Genesis chapter 37, now in verse 18. So Joseph grows up. He's got brothers. His brothers can't stand him because they know that his dad likes him and prefers him more than any of the others. Joseph kind of rubs it in his face, tells him about this dream that he has where they're all going to end up bowing down to him. His brothers say, let's, get, let's just get rid of this guy. Let's get rid of this guy. Let's, let's just take his life. He's driving us so crazy. And for all of the parents in the room, especially if you're the, a parent of multiple children, just like pat yourself on the back right now if your children aren't scheming each other's death. Like, if they're not plotting how to kill the other person, you're not as bad of a parent as Joseph's parents were. So you've got that going for you. But then, but then the brothers think to themselves, hey, why would we kill him? Why would we kill him when we could, like, make some money off of his life? This is how that story goes. So they saw Joseph in the distance before he got close to them. They plotted to kill him. And the brothers said to each other, Here comes the big dreamer. Come on now. Let's kill him. Throw him into one of the cisterns. It's like a deep well. And we'll say a wild animal devoured him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. This is crazy. This stuff is in the Bible, right? So they conspire all this together, but they see this like traveling caravan of slave traders. And so they say, let's just sell him into slavery and we'll make a little bit of money. All right, verse 28. When some Midianite traders passed by, they pulled Joseph up out of the cistern. They sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver And they brought Joseph to Egypt. Now, here's what I want you to notice. Joseph had a dream. Joseph thought this dream was from God. And the dream was, 
that all of these other people would bow down to him. And the next thing that happens in the story of Joseph's life after he receives this dream is the exact opposite. Instead of everybody else bowing down to Joseph, Joseph is now having to bow down to all sorts of people. So he goes down to Egypt. He doesn't go up to the father. He goes down to Egypt, not as a master or a ruler, but as a slave. And the story kind of goes on. Joseph ends up becoming the slave of a guy by the name of Potiphar. But like, there's this issue, this incident with Potiphar's wife. Joseph is innocent, but he's falsely accused. And as a result of that false accusation, he ends up in prison. So this isn't anything at all like he thought the dream would be. Let's skip down to chapter 40. Sometime later, both the wine steward and the baker for Egypt's kings, now those are like official people, not just people who work in the kitchen, they uh, offended their master. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief wine steward and the chief baker, and he put them under arrest with the commander of the royal guard in the same jail where Joseph was imprisoned. And the commander of the royal guard assigned Joseph to assist them. And after they had been under arrest for some time, both of them, the wine steward and the baker for Egypt's king who were imprisoned in the jail, they both had dreams. And each man's dream had its own meaning. So when Joseph met them in the morning, he saw they were upset. And he asked the officers of Pharaoh who were under arrest with him in his master's house. Why do you look so distressed today? And they answered, We both had dreams, but there's no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, Don't interpretations belong to God? Describe your dreams to me. So they start to tell him their dreams. And Joseph says, Well, here's what I think that means. And a few days go by, and Joseph's interpretations of those dreams come true. Now look at the closing line, verse 23. But the chief wine steward didn't even remember Joseph. He forgot all about him. So the story goes on, and Joseph interprets a bunch of other people's dreams. But the entire time, his own dream is unfulfilled. God gave him this dream. He really believed it. And he's spending his time in a prison in a country that's not his own, in Egypt. And he's interpreting other people's dreams and it's coming true, but not his. Not his. Imagine that. Imagine that. You have this image of what your life should be like. You have this vision of the future that you think God has for you. But your life is 180 degrees in the opposite direction of that dream. Other people's stuff is happening for them, and you're helping to make it happen, but not for you. I mean, the baker has a dream. He has to wait three days later. That gap between the dream received and the dream fulfilled for the baker is three days. Joseph has a dream And years and years and years and years and nothing. He's just sitting there in a dungeon. Chapter 41. 
So two years later, Pharaoh has this dream that he was standing near the Nile. In the morning, Pharaoh was disturbed. He summoned all of Egypt's religious experts, all of its advisors. He described his dream to them. They couldn't interpret them for Pharaoh. Then the chief wine steward spoke to Pharaoh. Hey, I've just remembered my mistake. Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me and the chief baker under arrest with the commander of the royal guard. And we both dreamed one night, he and I, and each of our dreams had its own interpretation. Listen, a young Hebrew man, he can't even remember the name, a young Hebrew man, a servant of the commander of the royal guard was with us. And we described our dreams to him and he interpreted our dreams for us and he gave each of us an interpretation for each dream, and his interpretations came true exactly. And Pharaoh restored me to my position, but hanged him. So Pharaoh summoned Joseph. They quickly brought him from the dungeon. He shaved, he changed his clothes, like you do when you have a big interview, and he appeared before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream, but no one could interpret it. Then I heard that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. And Joseph answered Pharaoh, it's not me. God will give you a favorable response. Now notice what's happened in that period of time between the time when Joseph got the dream and so arrogantly said to his brothers, you're going to bow down to me. And now, when he gets summoned to Pharaoh, all of that cockiness is gone. All of that ego is gone. So Pharaoh tells him the dream, and Joseph interprets the dream. Skip down to verse 39. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made this known to you, No one is as intelligent and wise as you are. When Joseph was younger, he was an arrogant fool. But now he's humble. And because of his humility, he was known as the wisest man of the empire. So Pharaoh says, you will be in charge of my kingdom And all of my people will obey your command. Only as the enthroned king will I be greater than you. And you can start to see now how the pieces of the dream that God gave to Joseph when he was 17 years old are starting to come together. The son became a slave who has now just become the second most powerful person in the entire empire. He's become a ruler. But still, the brothers are not involved in the story, and the original dream was all about the brothers. So turn in your Bible to chapter 42 of the book of Genesis, and there's this famine that came over that whole region, and everybody was running out of food, and that famine affected Joseph's family. And so the brothers who threw Joseph in the ditch and sold him into slavery, those brothers go to their dad, and they say to their dad, hey, we're running out of food. And the dad says, go down to Egypt. Here's some money. 
use this money to buy food because Egypt has stored up reserves. So here's what happens, verse 6. As for Joseph, he was the land's governor, and he was the one selling grain to all the land's people. When Joseph's brothers arrived, check it out, they bowed down to him, their faces to the ground. And when Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he acted like he didn't know them. And he spoke to them with a harsh tone and said, Where have you come from? And they said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph recognized them, but they didn't recognize him. And he remembered the dreams. He had dreamed about them. Can you imagine for years you've been wondering? Like, was I crazy? Did I misinterpret that thing, that image that God spoke to me? Was it really God that was saying these things, or was that just stuff I was wanting to think? You probably would even begin to think at this point in time, is there even a God? Is God actually present with me, or am I just like all alone in this world? And then, years later, there are the brothers, and they're bowing down before you, just like you saw it in the dream. And next in the story is a whole bunch of drama that we don't have time to get into, but long story short, the brothers go back home. They still have no clue that little brother Joseph that they sold into slavery, that they just interacted with him. A few more years go by, and the food that they bought, they run out of, and the famine still exists. And so they go back down to Egypt again in chapter 43. Verse 26, when Joseph came into the house, they presented him the gift that they had brought with them into the house, and they bowed low in front of him. Not once, but twice. And so he can't keep it a secret anymore, Joseph can't. So we read in chapter 45 how he declares, everyone leave now. So no one stayed with him when he revealed his identity to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians and Pharaoh's household heard him. And Joseph said to his brothers, I'm Joseph. Is my father still alive? And his brothers couldn't respond because they were terrified before him. And Joseph said to his brothers, Come closer to me. And you can imagine the fear. The second most powerful person in the entire kingdom of of Egypt with all of the power at his disposal. He knows what they've done to him. They know what they've done to him. He says, you guys come closer. He said, I'm your brother Joseph, the one you sold to Egypt. Now don't be upset And don't be angry with yourselves that you sold me here. Actually, God sent me before you to save lives. We've already had two years of famine in the land. There are five years left without planting or harvesting. God sent me before you to make sure you'd survive and to rescue your lives in this amazing way. You didn't send me here. It was God who made me a father to Pharaoh 
master of his entire households, and ruler of the whole lot of Egypt. Now, there's a whole lot that we can learn from this story. But what we can really learn is how we live, you and I. How do we live in between? How do we live well during that season of our life where we believe that God has this thing for us, but it's yet to be fulfilled? How do we live in the middle of all of that? And there's, there's a few things we can learn. I just, want, I just want to talk about a couple of them. The first is this. When the dream actually comes to pass, when that idea, that gut sense, that vision of the future that God gave you, when it's actually fulfilled... It's going to be different. It's going to be different. In Joseph's dream, he sees all of his brothers bowing down to him. But he doesn't see Egypt. He doesn't see slavery. He doesn't see prison. He doesn't see a seven-year famine. He sees a little bit of that dream, but he didn't see all of it. The image of what God has for you will be fulfilled, but it will be different. The reality is that the dream, the reality is to the dream what the seed is to the tree. The reality is to the dream what the seed is to the tree. All of the raw materials are there in that seed but it's just this tiny little sneak peek, just a fraction of the whole. And when we get a dream from God, we might get like 10% of it, but we're not going to get all of it because there's whole chunks and whole pieces that we're missing. It's like Paul said. Paul said, now we know in part, but then in the future, we will know as we are known. Or it's like that that brilliant scholar N.T. Wright puts it, All prophecy about the future is like a signpost pointing into the fog. Like a signpost pointing into the fog. It's this way, and that's all we get. It's not a photograph of how it will be, because the point of the dream isn't to tell you what is going to happen in the future. The point of a dream is to tell you how to live now in the present. In fact, God has set to it that we won't know exactly what happens in the future. He sets his mind against all of that. In fact, there's an ancient sin that we read all throughout the scripture called divination, where men and where women would like kind of try to divine the future. And that's alive and well today because there's a bent inside all of us to want to know the future because we think that knowledge is power and we think that if we can know the future, then we can have control over the future. And if we can have control over the future, then we don't actually have to trust God and none of us enjoys things being out of control. But God doesn't want us to have control. He wants us to have faith. That is why God will rarely if ever, tell us what is going to happen. Instead, he just illuminates enough of our path to tell us how to live today. So when that dream that God planted in your spirit years ago, 
when it's actually fulfilled, and it will be, it's going to look different than we were expecting. Dreams are different. We learn that from Joseph's story, but we also learn that they're harder. They're harder. In, in Joseph's dream, he sees this picture of his family bowing down to him. But he doesn't see false accusation. He doesn't see his brothers beating him up and selling him off into slavery. He doesn't see prison and a dungeon. He sees all of the good, but he doesn't see any of the bad. Now, if you're anything like me, and it's especially worse for me because I'm a little bit of an idealist, but if you're anything like me, and you are because you're a human, what we do is we get an image of the future and we romanticize it. We slap some filters on that thing. We take all the wrinkles off. We make it look real nice, definitely whiten the teeth. And we, we fancy that thing up. It's warm. It's perfect. For example, just to use this as an illustration, are there any, any married people in the house this morning? Give me a little yep, 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 whoop, yep, yep. Any single people here, same, same, same sign? We could play matchmaking. There are some single people here, but... If you're here this morning and you're single, some of you single people probably would like to get married someday. And it's great to want to get married, but the temptation when you're single and you're wanting to get married is to romanticize marriage. It will be like this, or it will be like that, or it will be just like a Hallmark movie, and he'll be like so amazing, or she will complete me, she'll complete me. Like, here is the heart keychain, and my heart is broken in half, and here you have the other half, and then when we're married, it will be like the whole heart is put back together, and you will actually complete me. Because, Pastor, isn't it biblical? It's in the Bible, right, that God created this one person for you. And if you can find that one person, then it's like you're half a heart walking around, and that other person is half a heart walking around. But when you find each other, whole heart. Isn't that in the Bible? No, no. That's nowhere in the Bible. In fact, what's actually in the Bible is that your half a heart is sinful, and their half a heart is sinful. And best case scenario, when the two sinful hearts collide, the person that you marry, their sin, like, won't be awful when it collides with your sin. That's best case scenario. Or as Paul said, and Paul literally did say this, those of you who marry will face troubles in this life, and I want to spare you from this. He said that. That's a verse in the Bible. And to be honest with you, this is actually one of the reasons why I think that the divorce rate in this country is so out of control, because so many of us go into marriage with like stars in our eyes and unrealistic expectations It's not that marriage is bad. Marriage is good. Marriage is hard. And I understand that some marriages are more difficult than others, but no one has it easy. 
In fact, self-sacrificial love to put the good of another person over the good of yourself, that will never be easy, no matter how many years you practice and try. That is always going to be tough, and it will never come naturally to you. So my point is this. We tend, when, we tend to, when we get these dreams or these images of what our life will be like, we tend to romanticize that thing, whether it's a marriage or whether it's your career, or whether it's that thing you want to do for God, we think it's like a straight, linear line to success. It will just keep getting better and better and better, but it's not like that. The journey in the gap between the time you receive the dream and it's fulfilled is hard. Harder than we often think. Dreams are different they're harder, and they're longer. In Joseph's life, there are eight chapters in the Bible devoted to his story. 22 years in total. He's 17 when he gets the dream. He's 30 when he becomes ruler of Egypt. And then there's nine more years to go before the dream is actually fulfilled. 22 years. And 22 years is a long time. There's a time gap between the conception of a dream and the birth of a dream. Often, God will impregnate our hearts with a vision of what life can be like and a hope for a future, but it is often a long time before it is actually born into the world. And if you're impatient, like me, and you get the dream from God, you think to yourself, okay, great, how about tomorrow? Does tomorrow sound good for you, God? Tomorrow's good for me. Is it good for you? But the reality is, it could be 22 years away. It could be 22 years away. For two whole years, Joseph is in a dungeon. No word from God. No prophecy. No community. All by himself, he's stuck. Dreams are different. They're harder. They're longer. But they're also better. They're better. When Joseph first received his dream, that dream was all about his own glory. It was all about his own glory. And here's what God does. God takes those selfish, self-centered things that we dream up. And he reshapes them, and he remakes them, and he transforms them so that that seed that's birthed in a person's heart bears fruit for God and for his kingdom. Because what happened to Joseph's dream is that it actually became God's dream. And God used that dream to save the family line, to ultimately produce his own son, Jesus Christ. And so Joseph's dream was all about me, but God changed it and remade it and reshaped it so that it ended up bearing fruit and bearing witness to a God who comes alongside of his people, 
who gives them just a little bit of an inkling of the future that he has in mind for them, enough to sustain them through 22 years of a gap, so that in the meantime he can grow character and shape hearts and renew minds and spirits and, and, and humble and get rid of the ego. And 22 years later the dream comes to pass and it's different. And it was way harder And it took way longer, but ultimately it was way better. Because now it's not just about Joseph's brothers and his family bowing down to him. Now it's about the glory of God being made known through the birth of his son Jesus, ages and generations and generations to come in the future. There is no doubt in my mind that God has given each and every one of you a dream. Like you have a mentality of what this will be. He's called you. He's called you. And some of you, that calling is yet to be fulfilled. And it's been years. But don't you ever quit. And don't you ever give up. Because you just saw 10% of that thing. And in the meantime, God's going to work. And he's changing you. He's remaking and reshaping you. He's realigning your heart with his so that years from now, when that dream is fulfilled, you'll sit back and you'll say, I never could have imagined or dreamed up all of that. I never could have. I never could have put those pieces together. But God, now I see in your glory how you took that thing. You shaped my life. You used it for good whether it's the desire for your family to be a certain way or a job or a career that you'd love to have or um, things that you would love to be able to have the time to do, don't you ever quit on the dream that God has birthed into your heart because he's going to use it to not only shape you, he's going to use it for his kingdom. I'm going to invite Ben and the team to come forward this morning and we're going to be given the opportunity to respond in worship.